Evening, church. Before I start, let me ask you a question. What is our church mission statement? Anyone know that? Yes, it's a home for all and made new for its purpose. And tonight I want to concentrate on the second part of that mission statement, made new for his purpose. How so? That's why I'm going to take you through Romans 12. Now, Romans 12, in 21 verses, it has like around 40 plus commands. Now, I'm not going to get through all 40 commands, but they can all be categorized in three sections and in three points that I will give you very soon. So Paul starts off with, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, mercy of what? Mercy of the gospel. When, when we should have been wiped out from God, by God, God redeems us. Now, in, in, in light of that mercy, he says, Therefore, now offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Now, that's your true, proper act of worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So in a nutshell, Paul is saying, you need to think differently. Think differently. And so I want to talk about transformation tonight. So if you are really transformed by the gospel, here's proof. Here's my three points. If you're really transformed by the gospel, you'll be thinking differently about yourselves, you'll be thinking differently about your brothers and sisters, in other words, the church, and you will also be thinking differently about your enemies. But before we dig into those three points, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for tonight that you have gathered us here. Lord, I thank you that, that we can look at Romans 12. Lord, I just pray that you illuminate Jesus for us to show us how beautiful Jesus is. And Lord, may you just transform our thinking tonight. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my first point to you all. A transformed life, you will change the way you think of yourselves. And how do we ought to think about ourselves? Look at verse 3. For by the grace of God given me, I, Paul, say to you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. So in light of verses 1 and 2, Paul is saying, hey guys, think differently from the world. What was happening in that world that day? Now there was this famous guy named Narcissus. What happened is he was a really good looking guy, a mixture between Brad Pitt, Thor, and um, Hugh Jackman, and myself. (laughs) It was good looking. And one day he walked towards a river and he said, how are you doing? Because he saw someone so beautiful in that river. And so he just kneeled down and he just gazed at this reflection. It was his reflection. And he just sat there for days on end because, come on, who wouldn't want to look at Dexter? (laughs) And he died. (laughs) For loving himself. He fell in love with himself. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. He just stared at himself and he died. It was a culture of people loving themselves. Now, that was back then, but today I still think people still love themselves. Just look at the way you look at a group photo. 
Who do you look for first? Yourself. And is the photo good or bad? How do you verify if a photo is good or bad? The photo is good if you look good. The photo is bad even though everyone else looked good and you blinked, it's a bad photo. Look at the way that you run your social media, your Instagram, your Facebook. Don't you just put photos that you think is aesthetically pleasing of yourself to the world? Today, it's all about confidence. It's, it's, it's all about, you know, you need to, to talk yourself up. Look at the way you write your resumes. You, you don't be fully honest with, you know, what you're writing, right? And even if you get the interview, when they ask you the question, so what do you think your weaknesses are? Oh, my weakness... Um, I, oh, I'm just really hard working. That's my weakness. <laughs> oh, oh, my weakness is I have no weakness. Something like that. You want to talk yourself up so you can be hired. This is a culture that always want to, to, to be more than who we really are. But the gospel, it's countercultural. No, no. Think differently. Think differently. Paul says, don't. Think more highly than you ought. I've been humbled by God so many times in my life. And if I can describe my life to you, it'd be something like this. It'd be something like a Russian doll. It starts off really big, but then we know what happens. So I remember growing up and I was acing, you know, all the Sunday school exams. And I was like, man, I was... The teacher's pet for Sunday school. Let me, our Sunday school coordinator would love that because I was a smart kid. I, I knew all the answers. And then growing up and going into Bible college, I was thinking of myself pretty big. Man, I know the Bible more than my peers. I can say all these big words and I can answer. You give me a, a Bible pop quiz and I'll ace it. And I thought to myself and I said to God, God, I think I'm pretty, pretty big. You can use me for all the big things that you have planned for. Do you know what, Jesus? I'll, I'll change the world for you because I'm pretty smart. And God said, no, no, Dexter. And he was very gracious in my life and, and he humbled me. And he opened me up. So what happened at Bible college, out of the four subjects I did, I failed three. Man, I was gutted. Man, I was opened up. I was, I was shrinking. But I'm, I'm looking at myself. Oh, God, I'm still a size of a bubble tea. It's still pretty good, right? I'm, you can still use me for things. You can still use me for all the big things out there. Five years ago, when I joined the Methodist, Chinese Methodist Church, now the highest position there was, it's called the bishop. I wanted to be the top dog. I walked into the system saying, thinking, man, I'm going to be a bishop like T.D. Jakes or something. I'm going to be a pope for Jesus. And God says, pope? Nope. <laughs> and again, God was gracious and he humbled me and he opened me up and he ripped me apart. And I'm a bit, I'm a bit smaller now. This is a pretty small size avocado. <laughs> kind of gutted. But I'm thinking... But God, I still have, I'm still pretty good looking, right? <laughs> no, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not that good looking, Dexter. 
He opened up me again. And, and time and time again in my life, God continued to open and open me up. And I'm pretty small now. And I'm gutted. God, this is surely me, isn't it? If you make me any smaller, how can I serve you? How can I do anything for you if I'm that small? I'll be of no use to you. But God still says, no, Dexter, that's not you. That's not you. That's not the true you. Open yourself up some more. Again, God opens me up. And by this time, I am wrecked. So small. But isn't it most amazing? Because it's often at this point in my life, it's in these times that God says to me, yeah, that's you. That's who you are. Now I can finally use you. It's in these times when you realize you are nothing without me. I can finally use you and use you for the things I want to do through you. Dexter, you know my words. I oppose the proud, but I uplift the humble. I'm a size of a speck, and then it's only then I realize I am nothing. But who am I, God? That the God of the universe, the creator of the world, talks to me. That he is mindful of me. That the son of man, Jesus, visits me. And that he puts his Holy Spirit in me. That he dies for me and he talks with me. And he has this relationship with me. But I had to get to this point for me to realize that. A transformed life, you will change the way you think of yourselves. Because you can't say you follow Christ and you strut around in pride with your head held high, your chin up, your nose in the air, and your gaze towards people is a sense of superiority. You're thinking everyone else are peasants because you think you know the Bible more than them. You think you can know all the big theological words and you be going around saying, hey, I was fasting yesterday. I was fasting here. I'm fast. You're slow. Walking around saying, I gave this much to the church. And they're just going around and beating their chest in pride. But that's not what a transformed life looks like. Because a transformed life knows that I can't walk around in pride. I was a criminal. I was on death row. I had a death sentence on me. But because of Christ, not because of my merits, not because of my deeds, not because of my works, that I escape this wrath and, and get to be with God. Man, if the gospel truly got hold of your life, you will walk to a different type of tune. You will walk to the beat of humility. But all in saying this, when Paul says all this, he doesn't want to beat you up. Yes, he wants you to be humble. But at the same time, he wants you to know that you're valuable. Yes, be humble, but at the same time, know that you're valuable. That's why Paul says, think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Just as each one of us is, has one body with many members, and all these members all don't have the same function, and then he says, and then he says so in Christ, underline that. So in Christ, because that's where your value, that's where my value lies. If you think of, um, of a pearl, 
not bubble tea pearl, but under the sea aerial pearl. It's small, but valuable. Remember the parable of the merchant where he was going around looking for a fine pearl and when he found one of great value, he went back and he sold his shop. He put everything on sale. He sold his camels. He sold every, everything that he had and he came back and he purchased that pearl. Now, what was that parable about? Who's the pearl? We're the pearl. Who's the merchant? Jesus was the merchant. God has given you everything. He has not even withheld his son from you. Your value is not in your gifting or your faith. You can be an old Christian or you can be a brand new Christian. Your value is not predicated on what you do, but in whose you are. Or you can think of yourself as a little pebble. They're small, they're kind of everywhere. But in the hands of David, it slayed a giant. I could then say to you, yes, I'm small, but no one in the whole universe has more worth than me in God's eyes. And in the universe, you have the same worth as me. We're small, yet we're precious and we can all be used by God in mighty ways. And so that leads me to my second point. A transformed life would change the way we think of our brothers and sisters. In other words, the body of Christ. In other words, the church. Paul says, in Christ, we who have many form one body and each member belongs to each other. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. And then Paul lists out seven spiritual gifts, prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, and mercy. Now, I don't have time to go through all seven gifts with you, but it's just there. And then Paul says, verse 9, Let love be genuine or sincere, depending on what version of the Bible you have. Now, you don't see this in the English, but in the Greek, it literally means, this phrase literally means, let love not be hypocritical. Hypocritical. Let love not be hypocritical. Or in other words, let love not be fake. Because when he used this phrase, the first readers would have known that he's, he's talking about actors on a stage when they are acting out or performing. And Paul is telling us to stay away from that type of love. Don't be fake about it. Don't just act that you love them or perform that you, you know, just putting on a performance type of love. No, let your love be legit. And how should it look legit? If you really love people, this is how it would manifest. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now that word is filio. So how we should treat every member in Oikos Church as family. Honor one another above yourselves. So church, if we have to compete in something, this is what Paul tells us to compete in. We honor, we just keep honoring one another. Verse 11, never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fever, serving the Lord. Now underline that, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, 
faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need. But let's go back to what you underline, serving the Lord. How do you serve the Lord? By serving the body of the Lord, which is the church, which is your brother and your sister. You can't say to me, Dexter, I want to serve God, but I don't want to serve this person or that person because they're annoying and they haven't done anything for me. What you're really telling me is you don't want to serve the Lord. But then that begs also the question, why should I use and how, how can I serve any gifting that you have? That's how you serve. But then there may be people that ask, why should I use my gifts to serve? Isn't there already people serving? Like they're on the music team and they're so much better than me. Or what about Pastor Dexter? He's, he's already good at you know, preaching and, and telling people about the gospel. Why should I need to do it? Or there's, there's people way better than me. People like Ravi Zacharias. He is an amazing apologist. What is an apologist? They don't apologize. Um, I don't know. They don't apologize. But they are people that defend the faith. They, they are people that can logically explain the gospel to you know, the mind of people. That's what an apologist is. And Ravi Zacharias is one of the most leading apologists that us Christians have. And he's actually here in Perth. Okay, I think he's preaching right now. That's why we lost a lot of people. I think they're over in that auditorium. But it's, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> but we already have people defending the Christian faith. Why should I defend the Christian faith? Why should I do it? There's already people with that same type of gift that are way better than me. Why should I use it then? Let me tell you, church. Because there's only certain types of people that only you can reach that Ravi would never be able to reach or I would be, ever be able to reach. Now that reminds me of a, a story in the Old Testament about this, this famous war general. Now this famous war general, he was loved by his nation. He won a lot of battles. He was famous and he had a lot of badges everywhere. He was a famous general. But he went to seek the prophet Elisha. Why? Because this famous war general had leprosy. Now, back then, leprosy had no cure. So this war general, with a life of all that victory, he, he knew he was going to die. He was just waiting to die, but he grew desperate. And so he traveled far and wide to find this prophet's name, Elisha, who was the leading prophet of Israel in that time. And so he travels really, really far with his whole entourage, and he finally made it to Elisha's house. He goes to the doorstep of Elisha, and he asks Prophet Elisha, what must I do to be cured of leprosy? And Elisha says, go wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times. And the general was kind of confused. It's like, are you sure of that all? Like, you know, I tried washing myself before many times. And should I do a sacrifice? Should I chant a spell? Is there, is there anything else to do? No, just go wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times. By then, this general, he gets angry. He gets angry and he didn't listen to this big time, big name prophet named Elisha. And he just storms off and he heads home. 
because he's thinking, ain't nobody got time for that. There's river back home that's more cleaner, more beautiful, that's more clearer than the Jordan River ever be. Why should I wash myself in the river? This seems like a scam. This seems silly. And so he storms off home. But during the journey home, his servant came up beside him and he says, Hey, master, you know what? We traveled far and why we journeyed for so long. And all he said is to wash yourself seven times in that river. You know what, general? You got nothing to lose except for your leprosy. Let's give it a shot. And so this general actually took advice of his servant. And so he goes into this river. He starts washing himself one time, nothing, two, nothing, six time, nothing. But the seventh time, he comes out of that river and he's cleansed of his leprosy. And then he goes away praising the Lord. Now, why did I tell you the story, church? I want you to see that there was two servants, one really big shot servant and a very lonely servant. Both pretty much said the exact same thing. But this general did not listen to the big shot, big name servant, but he listened to this little no name servant. Here's the thing, church. There will be people that you will be able to reach that Ravi Zacharias, Billy Graham, Tim Keller, all the other big shots will never be able to reach. Only you can reach them. So when I'm looking at this church as a whole, when one person, even one person, whoever that person is, or whenever that person is withholding their gifts from the church, they are depriving the church from something unique. And going back to the pearl example, so if I'm a pearl, if the MC Phil is a pearl, if the worship leader Gershom is a pearl, okay, individually, we're valuable. But if you're a pearl as well, all of you as pearl, and, and if we get together, or the pearls get together, that's a really good bubble tea, but, but don't, when I'm not talking about the bubble tea, stop it. I need it. Stop it. If all the pearls get together, we can form some type of jewelry. Let's say, let's pick a, a necklace. A pearl individually, yes, it has value by itself, but coming together, you know what I'm doing? I'm adding value to Phil, adding value to Gershom. Gershom's adding value to me. Phil is also adding value to me. Every pearl in the necklace adds value to the necklace. And what is the necklace? It's the church. You're valuable individually. But you're also, as a church, when you come together, you add value to each other. But does it end there? No. The value does not end there because ultimately that necklace does not bring glory, bring value to itself. No, it brings glory, honor, worth, and worship to the owner who's wearing it. It brings value and it brings worship to God. Therefore, in light of God's mercy, we serve our brothers and sisters. A transformed life will change the way we think about ourselves. It will transform the way we think about the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters. Hey, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to honor you. I'm here to love you genuinely. And lastly, it will change the way you think of your enemies. 
Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people who are in lowly status. Do not be proud and conceited. Do not repay evil for evil, but be careful to do everything right in everyone's eyes. Now remember back in that culture, what was the world that they live in? Paul is telling, hey, be countercultural. Now back in that world, it was very... It's a very vengeful world. Jesus even quotes in that time, you heard of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And I'm observing again, that was back then, I'm observing again in this culture. Shockingly, we're not that different. People hold grudges. They do. People who are a bit more sass say, oh no, you didn't. If you ever watch the real housewife of any city. They're, they're all, they're all the girls in that show, man, they're so petty. I don't watch the show. Demi kind of does. I don't know why, but they're all so petty. We enjoy movies like John Wick. Now, let me give you the plot of John Wick. <laughs> what happens is, Someone breaks into John Wick's house, steals his car, and kind of kills his dog. Not his dog, his papa. Okay, this little puppy. They killed this little puppy. And you know what? John Wick goes on a killing spree. And I counted 77. And I checked. Yes, it was 77 people. The kill. Because he killed his puppy, he went out to kill 77 people. And we not might advocate this, but people who are dog lovers... They're kind of cheering. Like, yeah, you go, Mr. John Wick. You go, Mr. Bully, Boogeyman. They shouldn't have killed or touched that dog. You go, John Wick. We, we're vengeful and we don't even know it. But Jesus says, you heard an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. And here in Romans, Paul is kind of echoing Jesus and he's saying the same thing. Verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it's written, it is mine to avenge. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And by this you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. I read that really fast, but has it digested to you? I read that, but it's a very, very hard command, is it not? I know there have been people in this church who've been extremely hurt and they find it hard to forgive. Sometimes I find it hard to forgive people. When I read passages like Romans 12, Matthew 5 and Luke 6 about loving your enemies, being nice and kind to your enemies, you know what? When I was a kid, 
I used to get so angry. I found it really hard to forgive as a kid. Why? I'll tell you why. Because when I was growing up, I was bullied a lot. I was a loser. And I know what you guys are thinking. You're like, nah, Dexter, you're so cool. Everyone loves you. Forget everybody loves Raymond. Everybody loves Dexter. She should make a show for you. You're so popular. You're in with the, you're the definition of the cool kids. Now that's my pride talking. <laughs> what do you mean you were a loser? Let me tell you, church, I was a very bitter kid because of my bullying. I remember various groups. There were so many groups that would hunt me down. I've always felt like a reindeer, Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. All the other kids didn't let me play in the reindeer games. There was this group, I remember, a group of girls, and all the boys wanted to impress the girls, and they told the girls, we'll do anything you want. And the girls said, attack him. And so the boys did. They gathered around in a circle and they kept pushing me down. And I would get back up because that's who I am. Like I get back up when I fall. I'm going get, to get back up. They push me back down. And you know what happened? I stayed down. They broke me. When I got home, I checked in the mirror. My back was bleeding. Why? Because they were pushing me onto rocks. I remember there was another group that, that always tried to hunt me down and pick me up and throw me in bins while everyone else watched and laughed. There was another group of boys that were, they were saying, hey, Vindo, arm wrestle with us and I'm looking at myself. No, I don't got this. <laughs> but they tricked me into arm wrestling them. And so the moment I put my hand on that table and I grabbed his hand, he did not let go of my hand and they all grabbed me and they took a cigarette lighter to try to burn my hand. That was my life as growing up as a kid. I was a bitter kid. But there was this one bullied who stand out, and his name was Andrew. Now wait. <laughs> Not Andrew Nguyen. Andrew Nguyen is a bro. He is so cool. But this is another Andrew. Andrew, he was the biggest kid in the grade. And I was so scared of Andrew. He would always tackle me. He would always punch me. He would take my lunch money. I was so scared of him. And so when I read passages like this about showing love to your enemies, as a kid, I couldn't understand why. Why, Jesus? Why do you say that? Do you not see what they are doing to me? Do you not see how much suffering that they are causing me? Do you not see that they write swear words on my desk? They they graffiti my pencil case, my, my belongings, my bags, my books. Do you not see that they rip my uniform and do you not know that my family is very poor and so it's very hard for them to work to buy my uniform and I come home with it ripped? Do you not see that, again, my family's poor and so all I get was sandwiches, very basic food and they will get snacks like chips, these little packets of Smith chips and I was always staring and looking at them eating and they will taunt me and they will tease me. Oh, look, we have this and you don't, you beggar. And once they finish that packet of chips, you know what they do? They pee inside that packet and they will use that packet to throw at me. And so I would come home stinking like pee. Jesus, do you not see how much pain and suffering? And you're telling me, the Bible's telling me to be kind to them, to love them? No, 
I hate them. I can't bless them. I curse them. When I read passages like Romans 12, Matthew and and Luke about loving your enemies, I heard you, God, but I'm not going to obey you. And I turned away. I disobeyed God and I tried to live my own way because I could not forgive. I tried everything to get rid of my bullies. My friends, they just tell me, oh, here's an advice. The little friends I have, here's an advice, Dexter. Just tell them to stop. And so I'm like, ah, stop it. Of course they're not going to (laughs) stop. They'll keep going. My mom says, oh, Dexter, just walk away. And so I'll start walking and then I'm like fully like running and then I'm hiding most of the time. And my dad is a bit, you know, more manly and he says, Dexter, fight back. So this is what I did to them. And I kicked, no, I didn't, I didn't kick them. They kicked me. All the Jackie Chan, all the Donnie Yen, Ip Man, all the Dragon Ball Z did not help me. I was always outweighted, outmatched, outnumbered. Of course, I would never win. My teachers gave me advice as well. Dexter, why don't, why don't you tell us when they bully you? And I did that. And I, did, I tell you that bullying just got increased because they got more angry every time I dobbed on them. I tried everything. Nothing worked. Until one day, Andrew, the biggest bully in my life, one day he was away from school. Because he didn't bully me, he bullied the whole grade. He was the grade bully. During one lunchtime, everyone gathered, had a little assembly in this room, and they were all trying to get Andrew expelled. He wasn't there, and so everyone was saying, yeah, he pushed me, he did this to me, he hurt me, and everyone's just putting up their hand trying to get this Andrew expelled. And I was sitting in my little desk, I'm like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's it. (laughs) But then a little still voice came into my heart and said, Dexter, you tried everything to get rid of your enemies, you tried the world's way. Why don't you try my way? Love your enemies. Love them him. Love him now or never. I was very stubborn. I still said no. Sitting in my little desk, still said no. But then something came into me. And I don't know what happened. And I just stood up. And the class went silent. And I don't know what I said, but or in a nutshell, I said, hey, don't. Let's not get Andrew expelled. Give him another chance. Maybe something happened at home. But in other words, I was defending Andrew. I was advocating for him. Don't expel him. Don't expel him. I want him to stay. And the class remained silent because they knew that I am Andrew's number one target, number one victim. And if Dexter's not complaining, then we have no right to say anything. And so Andrew didn't get expelled. The next day, Andrew came to me. He walked towards me and I cringed. It's a knee-jerk reaction. But he's coming to me this time with not an angry glare in his eyes. He's coming to me with tears in his eyes. And he comes to me and he says, 
Dexter, I, I don't know why you did that. I punch you, I, I take you, your money and I bully you every single day and I don't know why you still defended me. I promise you, Dexter, from this day onwards, I'm never going to bully you or anyone else again. And from that day onwards, me and Andrew became best of friends. Let me tell you, church, the best way to get rid of your enemy, it's not by continuing to hate them. No, it's by God's way. It's by loving them. In verse 20, put verse 20 up. When it talks about being nice to your enemy, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Now, what does that all mean? It does not mean that when you're being nice to them, you're hoping that they'll get a harsher punishment because that's not genuine love. No, no. What burning coals on their head means is that you're going to continue to be kind. You're going to continue to be nice. Kill them with kindness. You're going to continue to love them. And what happens is this burning coals, that, that feeling, that they start to get awkward, feel awkward. They feel ashamed of their actions. And maybe they will seek reconciliation with you or perhaps even God. So therefore, in a sense, when you are being nice to your enemies, you're not hoping that they'll be punished No, when you love your enemies, you're hoping that they be saved. So this command, heaping burning coals on their heads, is not judgmental, but it's missional. It's missional. And that's how I lived for the rest of my life. And I got out of that bitterness. And instead of a loser, I became who I am now, a jolly good fella. I remember people would come and they would give me the finger and I'm like, oh, I love your enemies and I'll give them a thumbs up. <laughs> they, would get, they were like, oh, what? Like, they would give me a double finger and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> double thumbs up. And they just left me alone. People who once really chased me down, persecuted me and harmed me. I prayed for them. I genuinely loved them. And you know what happened? They're all my good friends now. They come to me for prayer. How crazy is that? They're like, man, I used to bully this guy, but I know this guy, God listens to him. God hears him. And they come to me for prayer. Hey, Dexter, can you, can you pray for this for me? It's amazing turnaround, an amazing turn of tables. But how could this happen? How could a bitter kid like me able to forgive because I too once was forgiven. Because the Bible says, when we were sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, translation, we were God's enemies, but God still sent Jesus to die for us. Why? Because He loves us. And God, Jesus Christ, demonstrated it on the path to Golgotha. They placed the crude, cold cross upon his shoulders, but that wasn't the only thing that was placed upon him. Placed upon him was the sin of the world. It was my sin, it was your sin, it was our sin that forced him to go there. Who wasn't forced, 
who chose to go there. Sorry. And as he will walk those streets, soldiers will scourge his back with their whips. As we listen into the crowd, the crowd that once cheered for him, Hosanna, Hosanna, now is a crowd of cheers that says, crucify him, crucify him. And as people get closer to him, not to see if he's okay, no, they would get closer to him so they could spit on him. But yet the Son of Man did not flinch. Silent like a lamb to its slaughter. As they drove nails into his hands and his feet and the crown of thorns on his head, as they lifted him up on that tree to dry. Christ thirst. And as the soldiers gambled away his robe and his gown, the last of his dignity was gone. But yet it was in those last moments of Jesus Christ, He says this, He cries this, Father, forgive them, for do they not know what they are doing? That was a cry of forgiveness on our behalf when we were His enemies. It was a cry of forgiveness. We read today that it was God's place to avenge. It was God's place to judge. It was God's place to send down wrath. And you know what place we're in? We're in the place to receive all of that. But then Christ came and He took our place. We deserve the death. We deserve the punishment. We deserve the wrath. We deserve hell. But Christ took that for us. God's already demonstrated how we are to deal with our enemies. And so to forgive and love our enemies, that should be our knee-jerk reaction. When they hate us, when they persecute us, when they give us a hard time, we just continue to be nice to them. We continue to turn the other cheek. And one day, they were asked, why are you doing this? I was so nasty to you. Why are you like this? One day we could say, because I'm loved by Jesus. He's forgiven me. That's why I could love you. This command is, it's not for us to go out to seek revenge. No, this command is for us to go out and recruit, to bring people to Him. Therefore, in light of God's mercy, and if your life is really transformed, you would think differently about yourselves. You would think differently about your brothers and sisters, the church, and you would think differently about your enemies. God bless you, church.